0: This week in KMA Land, Page and Fremont County supervisors set special meetings on wind project. Carbon pipeline supporters still seek easements. Green Plains update planned for annual Skia banquet. New Page County health administrator on the job. Clarenda board picks facility study firm and its lights camera action in Nebraska City. I'm Mike Peterson. As the turbine turns remains KMA Land's highest rated daytime drama and the continuing story regarding a proposed wind turbine project drew nearer to a climax this week with two public meetings scheduled in Page and Fremont counties. First, by a two-to-one vote Tuesday morning, the Page County Board of Supervisors set a special meeting for Thursday, June 30th at 2 p.m. to discuss and likely vote on Inventergy's proposed Shenandoah Hills wind project. Supervisor Jacob Holmes, who cast the lone dissenting vote, says he believes the meeting should be strictly informational with no decision being made on the project.
1: What if we learn something there we need to think about? I do not think we should vote at that meeting. I it should be a big informational meeting on this with us, people making their case, and then we take that information and we study whatever we might figure out and then set a time to vote on it, I guess. I think that makes sense, is reasonable. Almost all meetings are in the evening, school boards, all of city councils. It's not
0: unusual. After an initial motion was made to include the 2 p.m. start time, Holmes also took issue with the meeting not being held in the evening, which he says would allow more residents to attend. During the meeting's public comment period, Mike Blazer, who serves as legal counsel for Invenergy, read a letter from the company's attorney addressed to County Attorney Carl Songson on his concerns about recent accusations and interactions at the county's supervisors' meetings. In addition to what Blazer calls hateful commentary and bullying from some individuals, he says accusations of searching personal records have caused concern.
2: But the treatment of the supervisors in and around the last meeting was truly unconscionable. Open threats were made to sue the supervisors individually and to engage in frivolous Witch hunts requesting not only supervisors' official communications, but the speaker also said they would go after the supervisor's private
0: communications, his wife's private communications, and the private communications of his kids. While saying holding several public meetings discussing the topic is good, Blazer says the productivity and decorum of the discussions have dwindled. Wind
2: energy generally and the Shenandoah Hills wind application have been on the supervisor's agenda nearly every week for months now. There have been ample opportunities for objectors and supporters to be heard. Sadly, the extended and extensive consideration the supervisors have given, have rightly given this application, has now devolved into incivility and outright threatening behavior, particularly in light of recent events around the country such verbal abuse and threats of physical harm cannot be ignored.
0: During a discussion with Page County Horizons, Supervisor Alan Armstrong clarified that even though the boundary listed in the application is larger than the proposed turbine area, no expansion would be allowed without board approval. They will have
3: to do everything like they're doing at this time. They'll have to go through and start a new study. They'll have to get everything planned out and any, any new items would then come back in front of the standing board of supervisors at that time, whenever that date is, whether it's a year, 10 years, a hundred years, there is nothing can be done inside that boundary area except for the proposed wind towers that are on that plan.
4: While
0: the current proposal, should it be approved, would be under the current wind ordinance, Blazer says any new turbines or projects would be subject to any potential changes made during the moratorium. Another public meeting on the Shenandoah Hills project is set for Fremont County next month. At its regular meeting Wednesday morning, the Fremont County Board of Supervisors scheduled a meeting and potential vote on the project for Wednesday, July 6th at 9 a.m. during the board's regular meeting. Supervisors Chair Randy Hickey tells KMA News the proposed plan for the Fremont County side has met the requirements put forth by the county's
5: ordinance. The engineers looked at all of them. I've looked at them. All three of us have looked at them and didn't make sure that they go by the what our zoning is and pretty much they've complied with all of our zoning ordinances.
0: According to Inventergy's project map, all but three of the 33 proposed turbine locations will fall in the Locust Grove Township, while the other three located further north along Highway 59 in the Fisher Township. Hickey says one of the primary attractions in the county's eyes involves the over one billion dollars annually that would come into the county, along with providing a revenue stream for
5: participants. we were looking at the potential of the tax revenue that would come in that would help the schools and help the county and and actually help the people if they are if they were interested in putting turbines on their property.
0: While the project has faced little opposition at public meetings in Fremont County, Hickey acknowledges concerns and the public interest in Page County but he says he's confident in his county's ordinance and the interest in the project from participating landowners. I've been
5: around him. Yes, there is some no, there is noise on him, You know, you can hear him but you know, all we were to do as far as the county was do an ordinance and when we did ordinances there again, I'm going to, you know, we only had two people show up at our public meetings, so we Figured that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, interest one way or the other in it.
0: However, he adds the county shouldn't control what landowners should do with their property.
5: We don't have the right to tell people what they can and can't do on their properties, you know. Probably, you know, they could have a good neighbor policy. You know, if one of the neighbors is thinking about putting one on their property, they need to talk to the other neighbor and go that route and see if it needed to be moved a little bit. Maybe they could move them, you know. But I think that's the route that they need to go through.
0: Another project stirring emotions in recent weeks is the proposed CO2 pipeline. And the companies spearheading the project still face a formidable challenge in securing 100% voluntary land easements for Summit Carbon Solutions' five-state pipeline. Rob Latimer of Turnkey Solutions updated the Page County Board of Supervisors on Summit's proposed Midwest Carbon Express pipeline Tuesday morning. The project would capture carbon emissions from over 30 participating ethanol plants to an underground storage facility near Bismarck, North Dakota. Latimer informed the board that of the 685 miles of pipeline in Iowa, just over 30% of the land has been acquired through voluntary easements, with a smaller number for the seven miles of anticipated pipe in Page County.
6: 32% of all easements have been acquired in Page County, uh, miles total pipeline, approximately 22% of all easements have been acquired.
0: While officials hope is to acquire as much as possible through easements, summits permit application to the Iowa Utilities Board submitted in January included requesting the ability to use eminent domain or the right to seize land for public use. Page County is among several counties around the state sending letters to the IUB stating their objection to eminent domain. Latimer says the investment to Page County is over $6 million, as the pipeline, which is expected to assist the ethanol industry in selling to low-carbon markets, works toward Green Plains, Shenandoah, and Fremont County.
6: on the physical pipeline uh, being installed in the ground and auxiliary facilities, That's approximately seven miles in total of six inch pipeline. That total investment is around $6.4 million. The estimated uh, new property tax after that project goes into service is around $245,000 a year based on current. Tax statutes and regulations.
0: With a significant amount of ground to cover, Latimer says the plan is to provide at least quarterly updates to the impacted county
6: boards. We have some ground to cover, of course, with local county permits, with continued work to acquire easements via voluntary acquisition. So on a quarterly basis, we'll come and get on the agenda and talk just like this, take okay. your questions. Okay. If there's significant items that need um, you know, a faster update, we'll come and talk to you guys.
0: IUB officials have indicated any action or public hearing on Summit's permit application is not expected to before February 2023. Summit officials expect pipeline construction to begin in summer 2023, pending approval. Shenandoah Chamber Industry Association officials promise a very interesting annual meeting next month, with developments regarding a major industry as its main focus. Reservations are being accepted for the banquet July 14th at the Waterfalls Event Center in Farragut. Todd Becker, president and CEO of Green Plains for the past 15 years, is this year's guest speaker. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, Skia Executive Vice President Greg Connell says Becker will update attendees on two major projects taking place at Green Plains' Shenandoah facility. Connell says the first involves the company's aquaculture project. You know, Todd
4: has started a total transformation plan as they move away from what I would call um, commodity projects processing. And now they're focusing on uh, high quality, high margin, renewable, sustainable products and feedstocks. And for the last two years, they've been producing a high protein product that uh, can compete with actually fish meal at about, you know, upper 50, uh, low 60 uh, percent protein. As a result of that, there's a huge aquaculture project out at Green Plains. They just signed an agreement with a company called Riverance. Uh, It's uh, out of uh, Idaho and they'll pr- be producing trout and salmon feeds uh, for this group.
0: Connell says the second project is Green Plains' $50 million expansion encompassing its new clean sugar technology facility. They will
4: take probably 25 to 30 percent of the corn that goes today for ethanol and they'll use a dry mill process but a, a patented process put together by uh, Fluid Quip Technologies, a company the Green Plains uh, owns. And produce a clean sugar product called Dextro.
0: Doors open at 6 p.m. with the meal served at 630. Reservations are requested by calling Skia's offices at 712-246-3455 or emailing chamber at Dinner choices, by the way, are rosemary butter chicken or smothered Salisbury steak. Well, despite what people may think, COVID-19 is still around in Page County. So says the new administrator charged with overseeing the continuing battle against the deadly virus. Richard Mullen is in the first month as Page County's public health administrator. Mullen succeeded Jessica Erdman, who resigned in April. Mullen served with Zion Integrated Behavioral Health Services for the past 18 years, the previous 12 as associate director. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Mullen says his first three weeks have been a high opener in many ways. It has
3: definitely opened my eyes to what the need is for public health and for communities to remain healthy and all the initiatives and stepping outside of just the substance abuse and mental health field and then just looking at the whole big picture of overall health and then how do you apply that to a large community like Page County and then ensuring that everybody has those services and those access to services.
0: One big service Mullen is now in charge of involves the county's continuing COVID-19 vaccination efforts the county's COVID-19 vaccination rate at 58 percent as as of earlier this week. He says the response to his office's vaccine clinics is still strong. We
3: usually end up about 25 to 30 individuals for each of those clinics, and a lot of those individuals coming in are getting their second, third, or fourth booster shots. And so, you know, with the 58 percent of the population being vaccinated, I think that's a very good uh, step in the right direction. And, and as people continue to get those boosters and continue to address COVID in their in their lives and things.
0: Anyone with questions regarding COVID vaccinations in Page County can call the Public Health Office at 712-850-1212. Plans for a major examination of the Clarenda School District's facilities are set. At its regular meeting Wednesday evening, the Clarenda School Board unanimously approved the recommendation of Site Logic Q to serve as the district's program management firm. The decision follows presentations from Site Logic Q and S construction at a special meeting earlier this month. Superintendent-designee and Interim Special Education Director Lance Ridgely tells KMA News the decision came down to which firm the board felt would establish a stronger connection
7: with the district. board really just felt uh, uh, that SiteLogic wanted to develop a relationship. Uh, wanted to. It wasn't just going to be, here's your uh, facilities audit and then that's it, but they want to work through the facilities on it. They want to help us understand the financial side of it. Uh, they want to build that relationship into other projects and other things as we go forward.
0: Ridgely says he contacted four school districts that had worked previously with the firm. He says overall the experiences were positive. Yes
7: with any group you have relationship things you have to work through but overall positive each school felt that they would be comfortable working with SiteLogic again and one of the schools actually has, they're, they're in a two-phase process, uh, one phase this year, the next phase next year, and they're working with SiteLogic on both phases.
0: While revisiting a possible facility survey, was partly brought on by the current space issues of the District 7 through 12 grade building. Ridgely says it would also cover areas that aren't always focused on as much.
7: What do our heating and cooling systems look like? What do our air quality within the buildings look like what is the ramification of sound in different classrooms of lighting and all of those sorts of things and that will be part of the process that they'll be looking at and then there's the other physical the more physical things that we see uh, the nature of the finish on the outside of the buildings the the sidewalks uh, the gutters
0: Ridgely adds the assessment could include finding more efficient ways to save costs in areas such as boilers or other maintenance equipment Additionally, he says the firm would reach out to multiple parties, including teachers, staff, maintenance, and other stakeholders, on what they believe the needs are for the district. After months of discussion, Red Oaks Fountain Square Park Bandstand is finally getting a facelift. Meeting in regular session Monday night, the Red Oak City Council unanimously approved a financial request and a reward of contract for phase one of renovations to the bandstand in the northwest corner of the square. Red Oak City Administrator Brad Wright says the loan bid received from Red Oak-based grant contracting came in at just over $240,000, approximately $20,000 over the engineer's estimate. Red Oak Park and Tree Board Chairperson Bill Dre says nearly $50,000 is anticipated through hotel motel tax revenue. Wright says they will need some financial contribution from the city. If we're
3: able to keep the hotel motel tax, which we are hoping that we get this thing moving forward, we can $75,000 as requested the council. If this thing would get put back and not be able to retain those funds, it'd be a maximum $125,000. But again, and keeping it moving now, and hopefully with a good grace of the Hotel Motel Tax Committee, knowing that it's out for bid, we believe that we can get it done for another $75,000 in the county.
0: Additionally, it raises the hope is to also pull roughly $179,000 in the Park and Tree Board's lost funds. The project, which has now been in the works for multiple years, was initially put on hold due to original plans coming in nearly $100,000 over projected costs. Coupling that with rising construction costs, Wright says the first phase has been scaled back to include a new 34-foot by 34-foot stage. So we scaled it back about as far as
3: we could. Of course, yeah. when we initially went out for bid, it had the roof on it, the whole thing. You know, we looked at even then phasing it out. Uh, but we've tried to scale this thing back to get it something that is realistic that we can actually afford to build because, you know, this thing came way in or came in way higher than what was originally anticipated.
0: However, Wright is the intent is also to leave the possibility for expansion. We set this one up where
3: we don't even have to demo the old stage. We're going over top of it. You know, and again, there's additional footings put in place to make sure it's solid. Uh, and of course, that's part of the expense on it is even though we're not building at the top, we're still setting it up. So it's. It's set up to put the top on if we want to do that as a second phase at some
0: point. Wright says the bandstand is one of the remaining major downtown revitalization projects left to be completed. However, with the larger stage, Dre says there will also be some ease in ensuring the stage meets the 50-foot ramp length requirement. It provides the possibility for electricity in the future. Uh,
3: before, it was going along one side of the stage and then going along the other side of the stage to do that. But where we haven't measured down the last time... With Snyder, we can do it all on the north or northeast part of the stage. We're not doing the electricity right away, but the concrete will have uh, uh, from Snyder, we'll have uh, four conduit in there so we can put four outlets, one on each corner of the stage. With the
0: board's approval, Wright says the hope is for construction to begin either in September or October. Parts of Nebraska City may resemble a Hollywood soundstage this summer. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Nebraska City City Council approved the request from HyperColor LLC for $50,000 in growth funds to assist in covering expenses related to a movie production in the community this summer. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Mayor Brian Beckett says writer-producer Adam Remire is returning to his hometown to film The Snack Shack. Based in the early 1990s, Beckett says the movie is based on Remire's childhood. It
2: reflects back on his time at 14 years old when the city used to put out a bid for folks to run The Snack Jack, the snack bar at the pool him and his friend on a kind of a wild hair decided hey let's put in for it just for giggles they put in for it and they actually won not a bit so then they had to figure out how to put it all together to actually run it that summer and that's kind of what this story is about.
0: Ray Meyer along with producer Jordan Foley outlined plans for the movie to the commissioners Beckett says plans call for filming to begin in the community late this month and wrap up in September. We've got
2: folks in town that are already doing some of the administration and logistics things that need to be done ahead of time and they hope to be shooting footage here in a few weeks. So center around 1991 in Nebraska City and uh, it's a great story. We've Our city administrator has read the script and uh, it's supposed to be a, a great as as adam said I love to nebraska
0: city. beckett says the film project is estimated at four million dollars not all of
2: that four million would be spent here but about two million with lodging catering all the different things that they need materials and all all that such
0: nebraska city mayor brian beckett clarinda residents will soon learn more about an expansion project for a local agriculture cooperative on Wednesday evening, the Clarinda City Council set a public hearing for July 13th at 5 p.m. on Agriland F.S. Clarinda's proposed addition of an anhydrous ammonia tank. Clarinda City Manager Gary McLarnan tells KMA News the public hearing is a requirement for the project. McClarnon says one of the primary attractions of the expansion to the city is the ability to serve more farmers in the area. However, the potential property tax implications are still unknown.
1: I don't know if there's a property tax increase with that i'm not sure how the assessor looks at ammonia tanks but there again i like the fact that they're willing to expand their operations here and and service more of the farmers in the area
0: given the product the tank will hold McLarnan says one of the main objectives for the city is working with local emergency personnel
1: we also need to make sure that our fire department um, has the proper equipment in case there is an issue with right now they've already have ammonia tanks down there, so. We should be set up pretty good from our perspective uh, with the the public safety.
0: After the public hearing, McClarnon says AgriLand FS could go through the standard building permit with the city for the expansion, which he says they intend to build to the east of the current storage facility. They
1: just have to fill out the application, give us some general information of where it will be placed on the property, because we do have certain setbacks that we have to meet, but it just sounds like in talking to them, it's going to be down there away from everyone. It'll be set back quite a ways from the ball field.
0: In other business, the council approved a three and a quarter percent bump in salary for McLarnan, who serves not only as city manager but also as the city clerk and treasurer. McLarnan says the clerk and treasurer duties often differ from the day-to-day city management. He says the council split the raise evenly between the two positions. The council also approved a change order to Building Crafts Incorporated for more than $10,500 for wastewater treatment facility improvements. Iowa faces competition from other states to keep its first-of-the-nation presidential caucus status. Representatives of the Iowa Democratic Party Thursday morning went before the Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee, which is considering pitches from other states wanting their primaries or caucuses to be the first major test of presidential candidates' strength in 2024. Iowa Democratic Party Chair Ross Wilburn says Iowa affords presidential candidates candidates and campaigns a unique opportunity to connect with voters in across cities, suburbs, smaller communities, and rural agricultural areas in ways that the other states can't. He adds Iowa provides an inexpensive and accessible playing field for lesser-known candidates to distinguish
6: themselves. President Jimmy Carter in 1976 and President Barack Obama in 2008 are the most notable examples of this. In 2016, Hillary Clinton made history by becoming the first woman to win the Iowa caucus. And in 2020, Pete Buttigieg became the first openly LGBTQ candidate to win a presidential nominating contest.
0: Iowa House Democratic leader Jennifer Confer says the state remains competitive in terms of congressional and legislative races. Conferst adds what happens up and down the ballot matters in her fight for the statehouse majority. Make
5: no mistake, Republicans are holding their caucuses first in Iowa. Every time a Republican candidate comes to Iowa, and visits the district of one of my members or one of my candidates, they're building an organization on the other side, and they are building enthusiasm and engagement among voters. That isn't going to change.
0: Party officials say they're committed to reforming the caucuses by separating the expression of presidential preference from the election of delegates. Rules and Bylaws Committee member Scott Brennan says the party proposes conducting the 2024 caucuses via non-present participation through mailed-in ballots. He says other states set a precedent for the mail format. In
4: 2020, Nevada pioneered in-person early caucusing and North Dakota and Hawaii successfully caucused and did a firehouse event by mail due to the global pandemic. It can be done and we can do it very well.
0: Iowa Democrats proposed the reforms in light of problems experienced during the last presidential caucuses. Issues with the reporting app on cell phones caused a delay in reporting. The 2020 Democratic caucuses results forcing national party officials to consider a change in the primary or caucus schedule. At least 17 other states and Puerto Rico are vying to hold their presidential caucuses or primaries first instead of Iowa. That wraps up this week in KMA land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.